Deuteronomy chapter 8, which is on page 180 if you're using a pew Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 8, page 180. If there's any children here, kindergarten to first grade, who'd like to uh, be dismissed to Children's Church, you're welcome to head to Children's Church in the back of the sanctuary in the foyer. Deuteronomy chapter 8, page 180. Last Sunday we looked at verses 1 to 5. This morning we're going to study verses 6 to 20. And let me, let me read the passage first before we consider it. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 6. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in His ways and revering Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when you're Herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied. Then your heart will become proud, and you'll forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through that vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have provided this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms His covenant which He swore to your forefathers as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. Is it more difficult to follow the Lord in good times Or is it more difficult to follow the Lord in bad times? Do we find that we are more prone to unbelief and to sin in periods of prosperity? Or do we find that we're more prone to those pitfalls in periods of austerity? That's the question we started considering last Sunday. If you were here last Sunday, we we began exploring that as we looked here at Deuteronomy chapter 8. And in many ways, Deuteronomy chapter 8 is a great chapter for considering this the differences between following God in sunny times and cloudy times, so to speak. Because here in Deuteronomy 8, Moses is preaching to the Israelites as they're quite literally camped between those two experiences. They are coming out of 40 years of wilderness wanderings in the desert, where they lived in tents, where they ate manna every day, where everyday life was hard and barren and 
and very Spartan in, in their existence. And now they're about to cross the Jordan River into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, where things are going to be very different. And so we started thinking about this last Sunday. And last Sunday, if you were here, we looked at verses 1 to 5, which really focus on that first question of following God in the hard times. And what we saw last Sunday was that even in the hard times, God has a purpose. That, that for his people, suffering and difficulty is never random and meaningless. That God has a reason for it. And uh, we, we saw in verses 1 to uh, 5, there were four reasons that God brought them through suffering. Number one, to humble them. Number two, to test them. In other words, to show what was really in their hearts. We can all talk a good game until things get tough. And then we see how much we really trust the Lord. To provide for them so that uh, he gave them manna in the wilderness. And then number four, to teach or to discipline them. And the thing that God was teaching them above all else in the wilderness was that he is their life. That God himself is the one that they need to depend upon. That when everything gets stripped away, you realize that God is the one who sustains our life. And in the wilderness, that's what we learn, to depend upon God and God alone. When we come into the times of blessing, when we come into seasons of prosperity, the fact is we still need God just as much as we did in the wilderness. It's just that we forget that we need him just as much. He is just as much blessing us and providing for us in times of prosperity as in the lean times. It's just that we forget that it's him and we lose sight of him. So the challenge of following God in the hard times is that it's hard. And you have to trust that he's there. But in the good times, the challenge is not forgetting the Lord and not taking for granted that he is still the one upon whom we depend for everything. So let's look this morning at these last, the second chunk of the chapter, verses 6 to 20, where Moses is going to urge the Israelites now to think about the promised land they're going into and the danger of forgetting the Lord. Because it's going to be a great experience. You know, think about how great the promised land is. Verse 7, the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water. Uh, It's got wheat, barley, vines, fig trees, pomegranate, olive oil, honey. Bread is not scarce. Contrast that with where they've been for the last four decades. Verse 15. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you out of, uh, brought water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert. You know what? The contrast couldn't be more stark. What a difference from a place where there's, uh, you know, no water in the desert. It's, it's bare. It's a desert. And then they're coming to a place that's lush, there's pools, there's streams. To go from a place where there's no food. You know, God had to airlift food in every day for 40 years. They had to just come out every day and God had to plop it on the ground because there just was no place to get any food in the desert. And then to go from that to the promised land where you got all this food, pomegranate, fig trees, you know, from a menu with one item on it, manna. (laughs) What's on the menu today? Manna. You know, how many ways can you do manna? You know, it's like, you know, you fry it, you can boil it. I don't know. I've never had it. But then to have all these different food and to have the land just producing agriculturally in in such, you know, abundance, a a very fecund land where there's just everything to eat. And they don't even, God doesn't have to bring you food from heaven because it's, it's just so prosperous and wonderful. To go from living in tents to living in houses I was thinking some of these Israelites who were here 
probably a lot of them were born in the desert and grew up in the desert. So there's some of these people who've never not lived in a tent in the desert. Some, a lot of these Israelites have never not been wandering around in the wasteland herding sheep. They've never grown crops. They don't know what it is to grow grapes and to, to eat their fruit. So this is going to be a radical shift. This is going to be dramatic, a life-changing experience for a lot of these Israelites. And God's getting them ready. He's like, there are temptations you're going to experience here you've never had before because you've only known the hard times. But now it's time for a time of blessing for God to fulfill his promises. And there are times in our lives when God brings us from pain and deprivation and suffering to blessing. There are times in our lives where he answers those prayers that we pray. You know, there are times in our lives where finally God comes through and, and he's good and he answers it. You know, and I, I'm not preaching sort of a prosperity gospel here that if you just have enough faith, God will answer your prayers. I mean, sometimes he doesn't, but sometimes he does. And it's amazing. It's like you pray for a job and you've been out of work for two months, four months, six months, a year, 18 months. You know, you just start losing hope. You're like, maybe I'm not supposed to work. I mean, what am I supposed to do? I have lost all hope. And then something happens, a door opens, and then you're employed. And it's like, thank you, Jesus. I didn't know if I'd ever work again. And it's such a wonderful blessing when you finally move into that new phase. Uh, Or maybe you've had the tests and you've had the surgeries and you've had the treatments and the drugs and you've got like all these specialists and you're making the trips into Boston and finally that day comes where the doctor sits down with you and he says, I don't know if you're ready for this, but I think I'm going to give you a clean bill of health. You know, you're like, I can't. A clean bill of health? What am I going to do without seeing a specialist every week? You know, to finally at times receive healing from God and to get through a terrible illness. Or, or maybe you have a conflict or just some problem at work or in your family or in your life and it's, it's just stuck. Your life just seems stuck. It's like, I can't fix this. And you pray and, you, and suddenly God begins to move things and things happen and the next thing you know, the problem is solved. The, the relationship is reconciled. The person you've been praying for for years, the ice, like today, the ice begins to melt. And, and you see the person... Their heart starts to change. A person you just kind of almost given up hope on. And their heart changes. And, or, or you overcome an addiction by God's help. Or things in your character, sin, uh, bad habits, you just pray for God to help you change and grow as a Christian. And you start to have success and you start growing. And man, when those things happen, it's just so amazing. Because you see the hand of God in your life. You're like, God has done it. He's answered a prayer. He has accomplished something that I had almost written off as it will never get fixed or helped. And there are times in our lives when God brings us into these great seasons of blessing, prosperity, victory, success, happiness. We suddenly have friends. We suddenly have, you know, the the, the sun comes out and the world turns green. It's an amazing thing. And when that happens, when that happens, we need to do two things. Number one, this is what God, this is what Moses tells Israel, and I think we need to hear it too. We need to praise God. Verse 10. Number one, we need to praise God. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. And you know, that's kind of, that's a little bit easier. Because when things go good all of a sudden and you have a breakthrough, you're praising God. You know, you're coming to church, you're telling all your friends, you've been praying about this. Guess what God did? I can't believe it. 
You know, and you're telling, you're putting it on Facebook, you're sending out emails, you're letting people know what God has done. And so when, when the good breakthroughs happen and the good blessings come, we praise God. But then we need to do a second thing, and this is the harder one. This is the one that Moses camps on for the rest of this uh, bit of the chapter. The second thing we have to do when we come to the good times is we need to make sure we don't forget the Lord and that he's the one who's brought us here. You know, and that's verse 12, verse 11. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Don't forget him. Because that's the danger of prosperity. When we're in the desert, our temptation is to fight God. But when we're in the good times, our temptation is to forget God. It just happens. We forget that He's the one who's brought us these blessings. And by forget, we don't simply mean kind of slipping the mind, although perhaps it starts that way. But, but the forgetting that we're talking about here is something more than just, whoops, you know, I had a senior moment or whatever. Uh, you know, a couple um, a couple weeks ago, I, I locked my keys in my car out here in the parking lot. And so at the end of the service, a couple weeks ago, I'm like, where are my keys? And I'm freaking out. And I go out to my car and I look and they're sitting like right on the seat. You know, like, oh, I forgot my keys. It's not that kind of forgetting. It's not just a simple whoops, I forgot or I was preoccupied. It's a, it's a sort of forgetting that, that eventually yields a sort of pride and self-reliance where you say, you know, I really... I really kind of did this. I mean, I mean, God helped me, but he spotted me a little. But really, look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. Wow, I, I've really made it through instead of saying God is the one who's done it for me. You know, look at verse uh, 12. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God. So forgetting and pride are are coupled here in this text. It's a kind of arrogant forgetting. Not whoops, but but more like, yeah, I'm not so bad. Look what I've accomplished. And I love that that phrase in Hebrew, you know, you'll become proud. The Hebrew word is your heart will become high. That's the, the, the Hebrew idiom. Your heart will become elevated. You know, this is this idea of pride, you know, I'm sort of rising up and holding myself in higher esteem. You know, uh, I have a dog at home. Uh, her name is Princess Leia. And uh, <laughs> Princess Leia, you know, she, li- she likes to go up. Dogs like to get high. They like to climb up. And we, an- we tend to anthropomorphize our dogs like they're people. And a dog sits on the couch next to us and we're like, oh, the dog loves me, you know. He's, he's my buddy. No, no, it's a status thing with dogs. They're trying to get higher to show that they're dominant over you. And then they, they, they do. Then they go up higher. That's why if you lay on the ground, a dog will stand on you. Because it's their way of saying, I'm the alpha dog, and you're, you're submitting to dogs are all about dominance and hierarchy. And so my dog, my dog likes to sit on the, the, side, the back of the couch. It's because she likes to be up as high as she can to, you know, to be princess. You know, she wants to... Show her authority. And so I'm like, get down, you know. I'm the alpha dog in this house. Woof, you know, and I have to play those games. And, you know, that, that's kind of like the, the image I had when I thought about my heart becoming high. It's like I start amassing this pile of success. You know, money. You know, here it's houses and, you know, uh, crops and my education and my accomplishments and, 
you know, what I've accomplished in ministry or what you've accomplished in your Bible study or what you've accomplished in, you know, whatever it is you set your hand to in life. That, that, and, and then we sort of see that pile of goodies and our temptation is like a dog to go up on top of it and stand there and, you know, <clears throat> you know, my heart has become high. Look what I have done. Look what I've accomplished. Look at those other people who aren't as high as I am. They must not be as smart as I am. They must not be as hardworking as I am and, and as clever, because if they were, they would have accomplished what I have. But I must be superior. But that's okay. I'll be nice to those you know, little people there. And, and you just become so full of yourself. And we become so convinced that it's us who've accomplished this. You know, verse um, 17, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. There's always this danger that we will begin to take credit from God for the things that He's given us. The blessings, the accomplishments, the successes. That, that I always have this tendency to get kind of high on myself, to climb up on the heap of goodies, to climb up on the heap of accomplishments, and to sort of reach up to heaven and to take God's glory and give it to myself or to ascribe it to other things. Um, I, you know, coming in, coming in, seeing these doors, driving up every day to work and seeing the building. And I, I'm getting so excited for this new church building. I, I just, I'm like a little kid. I see new things being built. It's like, oh, look at that. Wow, you know. And I try to imagine what it's going to be like in there. But not only am I excited about the building, which is a really cool thing, a really amazing gift from God, I'm excited about everything that building symbolizes. I can't wait till this 11 o'clock service moves into the building and the sanctuary is half full. And then we got to go, okay, who am I inviting? Who, you know, who do I need to pray for that needs to be worshiping Jesus? And, and so th- that's going to be exciting to me when we're suddenly in this sort of big space and we need people. And it's like, let's reach out with the gospel. I'm excited to see us plant churches. I'm so excited to, uh, if, if God would will it, I'm so excited to, um, to, to train up pastors and you know, if God would allow us to be an, an intern kind of training church. I'm so excited for all that. But I also, in this text, see a warning against spiritual pride. I think this text is good for us. Let's keep Deuteronomy 8 in mind as we get closer to this thing being done. Beware of spiritual pride. Beware of this idea that, well, you know, I, maybe the reason we're able to build this building and do all this is Maybe it's because our church has the right formula. Maybe we, you know, we have the special sauce. We have church figured out, you know. And if, if others would do church the way we do church, well then, you know, God would bless them equally. You know, woo, there you go. You're right there in Deuteronomy 8, taking pride. You know, there are churches that are very faithful to the Lord, that are struggling, There are churches around the world that are faithful to Jesus that are being persecuted almost out of existence. You know? There are are cults that are completely blasphemous that are thriving. (laughs) They're big and there's lots of people and they're distorting the Word of God. And so we have to always be careful not to attribute a cause and effect relationship between our faithfulness to the Lord and the circumstances of our life on a church level, on a personal level. We have to be warred against saying, well, if things are going bad, it must be because I've really fallen away from God. And if things are going good, it's because I'm spiritually on track. Sometimes it's the opposite, right? And it's the same thing for churches. We, we have to not, not let our what's going on in our church in terms of 
success, however that's defined, be an indicator in our minds of our own accomplishments. Instead, we just have to say our job as a church is to be faithful to Christ. Our job as a church is to be faithful to his word in the gospel, come hell or high water. Whether God blesses it in a season of revival or whether we get persecuted into the dust and we have to go to the the stake. We're standing on the gospel and we're peaking Christ's glory and his name first and let him take care of all the growing or shrinking or building or destroying or whatever. We're just going to stay faithful to Jesus. And that's what he calls us to do. And, and not worry what the world thinks or, or try to figure out how to engineer things to create success. We just need to be faithful to the Lord and to his gospel and his word and let him take care of leading us through the valley of the shadow of death or by green pastures and still waters. So I, just, I think there's a great warning here for our church and for our lives about spiritual pride that just comes in so easily whenever you, you cross over from you know challenging times like we've had as a church for the last 10 years to to maybe more prosperous times that could lie ahead. Let's remember that it's all His glory. So how do we protect ourselves against this falling away from this idolatry is really what it is when we take credit from God and steal it from Him and put it in our own pockets. How how do we protect ourselves against it? And I guess the simplest answer is remember. So if the problem is we forget, the antidote is to remember. We need to remember the Lord. We need to remember what he's done for us. And specifically, we, re- we need to remember two things. And I see these here in the text. Two things that Moses tells Israel to remember. And I think we would be good to remember too. The first thing we need to remember is we need to remember the past. We need to remember where God has brought us in the past. We need to often look back and see that it's God who's brought us through difficult times. That the reason we are where we are today is because of God's faithfulness in the past. This is what Moses reminds Israel of, verse uh, 14. Then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God, who, by the way, brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And he goes on to remind them, you know, in verses 15 to 16, he led you through the desert. He gave you the water. He gave you the manna. The reason you're here, people, at the promised land, ready to go in, is because God kept you alive for 40 years. Let's remember his deliverance. And so it was institutionalized in Israel at the Passover. Every year in the spring at the Passover Seder. Even today, Jews gather in homes. You know, 4,000 years later, they gather in homes and they have a Passover Seder and they all remind themselves that God brought Israel out of Egypt. God is the one who's rescued them. We're a people because of what God has done. And and if that's true of Israel in the Old Testament, how much more is that true of God's Israel in the New Testament, the church? He has brought us through an even greater deliverance. The Lord has brought us out of slavery, not in Egypt, but slavery to our sins, slavery to Pharaoh Satan. And, And it wasn't through a Passover lamb that was sacrificed. It was Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb, whose blood was shed for us. I mean, God gave his own son to rescue a rebel like me. That's amazing. I need to remember Jesus was crucified for me, that he was buried, that he rose again. And we need to remember that Jesus is the spiritual bread that we eat. He's the spiritual water that we drink, that Christ is our life. And so I need to remember that in my Christian life. We need to, as a church, constantly rehearse the gospel. And we've talked about this a couple Sundays back, but I just want to kind of remind us again to remind ourselves 
to keep rehearsing the gospel. If we have a Sunday gathering where we forget to rehearse the gospel, we've really dropped the ball. In either in song or in message or in prayer, we need to just keep gathering as a church and saying, God has saved us. Because when you stand at the foot of the cross, it's tough to get arrogant. It's tough to get full of yourself. It's tough to go high when you look up and you see what the Savior did for you. And you're like, you know, I'm just, I'm just a salvaged sinner. <laughs> I'm a great sinner and I've been saved by a great Savior. I, I can't take credit for things. It, it humbles you and it keeps you grounded. And you recognize what God has done. It is never a bad idea to ask yourself the question, where would I be today if Christ hadn't found me? It, that question never gets stale. <laughs> That's always a good question to ask. Where would I be today if Christ hadn't found me? What kind of person would I be? What would my relationships be like? What would I be addicted to? Would I be alive? Would I be in hell? Where would I be if I didn't have the Savior? And so let us, let us practice the discipline of rehearsing the story of what it is that Christ has done for us. Let's sing it. Let's talk it. Let's share it. Share our testimonies with each other. Let's just keep that alive. What the cross has brought us from and what the cross has brought us to. But I also see in this text, not only do we, we fend off the forgetfulness and the taking credit and the pride by remembering what God has done in the past, there's also a remembrance of what God is continuing to do in the present. It's not just sort of like He saved us and then that's it. God is continuing to sustain our lives even now. I love verses 17 and 18. Very powerful verses. You may say to yourself, my power and uh, the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, so there's the next remember, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so it confirms the covenant which is for your forefathers as it is today. It's God not only who rescued me, but it's God who continues to provide for me. It's not only God who saved me from my sins. It's God who continues to sustain me in my Christian life to keep living a, a holy life. It's, it's God who provides even in times of blessing and prosperity. Because, you know, when things are going good and your life is good and you have money and everything's going well, it's, it's very easy to take credit for it and to say, you know, I, I didn't need God. I don't, you know, maybe people who are in trouble need God. It's sort of a crutch. But I'm doing good. Look at my own hands have provided for me. It, it's like... Um, where did you get those hands? And where did you get the brains that control those hands? And, you know, where, why is it that you're living here in this place to use your brains in those hands? And why are you alive right now? You know, God is, is sustaining your life. Um, when I was in seminary, one of the summers I did three credits uh, at a, a hospital, Beverly Hospital on the North Shore, and I did a chaplain uh, internship. It's called clinical pastoral education. And it's, you work in the hospital and you, you learn there. And I, I covered the ER, I covered um, the cardiac intensive care unit and the rehab. And it was a really eye-opening, seasoning experience because I, I really hadn't experienced any you know thing like that. I mean, it was the first time I had seen people going through physical trauma, seeing people in surgery, seeing people after surgery, seeing people... First time I ever saw somebody die before my eyes. I'd never seen anybody expire. And so it was a lot of these new experiences. 
And uh, it, the, the interesting thing was I had a lot of compassion. I was learning this. But I wasn't, the, the medical stuff and the kind of didn't bother me. And I was kind of thinking, maybe I should be a doctor. You know, maybe I'm going on the wrong path, you know. So probably pay a little bit more. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm in the wrong field. But, it, you know, I wasn't rattled by it. it. It didn't really get to me until I went to the rehab. And what got to me, what, what freaked me out, were the, the people that I ministered to who are stroke victims. And that set, that affected me. And I was like, Lord, I, I don't, save me. I never want to get a stroke. I started getting, you know, nervous about what would happen if I got a stroke. It's, it's just so sad because you see the person there. You can tell they're tuned in. You know they understand you. They want to speak to you. But what's in here just can't get out. And it's just like my heart was breaking for these people. It's just like one day they were fine. And the next day they can't make what they, is in their head come out of their mouths or out of their bodies. And, it, you know, it's heartbreaking. And it, it humbled me to, to see that because I was like, my life is so fragile. Our lives are so fragile. And we sit there and we, you know, where is God? And we blaspheme God and we rail against God with air that God has supplied that's coming through a larynx that God made being, you know, articulated with a tongue and a mouth that God created, and I'm using all that to, to question and curse Him. It's like, wow. I don't even realize how gracious God is, what He gives us moment by moment. He's sustaining my life. He didn't just create me. He's sustaining me. I'm alive because His hand is still there, and if He just kind of moved a pinky, it would all end. God is the one who holds us up. Even now, people rail against God and they, they curse God. And they don't realize that they're dangled over the fire of hell by a thread. And it's God's faithfulness and His almost infinite mercy that's holding the thread. That's putting up with our nonsense. And we won't repent. And we won't turn to His Son. And we won't believe in Christ. And He still just holds the thread. And He holds the thread so patiently. He's such a good God. He's so merciful to us and so long-suffering with, with all the stuff I've done in my life. It's unbelievable. And so I need to recognize not only God's grace in the past that saved me, but God's continual sustaining grace that gives me prosperity, that gives me success as a Christian, whether it's success in ministry, success in growth in the Christian life, overcoming sin, breakthroughs in my godliness and growth in Christ. is all from His Holy Spirit sustaining me. That that spirit gives me life. And so we need to remember that. And something we need to do in prosperity to remember his present uh, blessing is, is generosity. So, so one of the disciplines is remembering and rehearsing the story. I think the other thing we need to do to remember God in good times is to be generous. It's one of the major themes you see in Scripture is that when God blesses us, the reason he does it is so that we can reflect his blessing through generosity to others. And so this is a major theme in Scripture, is how do you guard against becoming self-righteous and self-sufficient and forgetting the Lord? When He blesses you, you bless others with whatever it is. God has blessed us to be a blessing, as the old cliche goes. And so if he, whatever it is He's given you, you know, that's why Christians give money. That's why, we, that's why we tithe. That's why we give to the poor. That's why we, we open up our pocketbooks and our homes to, to help people who are in need. That's what we're called to do as Christians because God has blessed us. I remember this um, time I was talking to a guy who was just beca- he was just coming to the faith, but he was really stuck on this whole tithing issue. That was really rubbing him the wrong way. And so he, 
he, he met with me. He's like, you know, I, I need to talk to you about this tithing thing. Like, what's this all about? And I was trying to explain to him, it's about honoring God. And it's about saying to God, God, I recognize that everything I have is from you. And so this is a way of, of giving back and honoring you with my wealth and not just with my, with my mouth. And, uh, and he's like, so, but what's with the 10%? I said, well, you know, it's, it's a number you see in the Bible. I go, but, you know, you make a lot of money for you. It's probably 20. And uh, he was like, oh, you know. I go, sorry, 30, 30 for you. Uh, you know, maybe God's blessed you to be 30%. I don't know, whatever. But it's not just money, right? Has God blessed you with music? Has God blessed you with brains and intelligence and creativity? Has God blessed you with um, a listening ear? Has God blessed you with ability to craft words and write notes of encouragement? Whatever. You know, God has poured more blessings in our lives than maybe we can sometimes see. And he's given those to us. And the way we protect ourselves from just thinking it's all about me is, is by generosity of whatever God has given us, a basic Christian discipline. Because the thing is, if God blesses me, and then I'm like about to write a check. There's that little voice. Have you, have you heard the voice? Maybe you've heard this voice too. I hear the voice. Whenever I, sometimes when I'm writing a check in the morning, you know, before church to, to give my tithe, I hear the voice going, maybe you should hold on to that. <laughs> you could use that. You know, maybe you shouldn't do that, Jeremy. And, you know, I have to go, do I trust God or not? You know, so, so I think that's how you – generosity is the way we stay connected to our dependence upon God in times of blessing. Rather than just sort of hoarding and piling, we, we say, okay, in blessing I'm going to continue to give, and that will keep that trusting God for provision muscle strong. And whatever it is that God has called you. Maybe you have time. Maybe you have a listening ear. Maybe you have other gifts. Whatever it is God has given you, be generous so that we become a people who reflect His grace and generosity to us. But let's not forget the Lord. We need to remember Him in the good times. We need to remember that everything we have is a gift from Him, that my very life is a gift from Him. Everything I've accomplished, everything I've succeeded at is His hand of blessing. So where are you at this morning? Are you in the desert or are you in the promised land? If you're in the desert, don't give up. God hasn't forgotten you. God is not punishing you. God does not hate you. He is bringing His children through the hard times to shape them and discipline them and mold them and to teach you that He is everything that you need, that He has everything, that Jesus is your life. And for those of us who right now in our lives, it's like, you know, it's not so bad. It's actually pretty good. And God is blessing you in different ways. Don't forget the Lord. Remember that He's still the one providing for you. Don't forget what He's done in the past, saving your soul. Don't forget what He's doing in the present. Remember that even the greatest blessings of this life, even if He gave you the whole world and a big lottery ticket, would be a pittance compared to the blessings of eternal life that you have stored up for you in God's bank vault. So, so just keep your mind on, on the Lord and be generous with your life. And then let us come together as a church. Let us link arms. Let the poor and the rich link arms. Let, let the hurting person and the healthy, hard-bodied person put their arms around each other. Let the person who's depressed and the person who is singing a tune embrace each other. And let those who let us learn to weep with those who weep and let the, the downtrodden learn to rejoice with those who rejoice. And let us all get past our circumstances and together encourage each other 
to keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. In whatever circumstances we are, let us learn what it means, like Paul said, to be content in all circumstances. And the secret is we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that we would stay focused on you, that your name and your gospel would be the center that keeps us grounded. God, I pray for my friends here today who are going through grief, loss, frustration, failure, dead ends, Lord, who are just hopeless. God, I pray today that they would trust in Christ, that they would learn what it means that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from your mouth. And God, I pray that that we who are not struggling would learn to weep with those who weep, that we'd come alongside them and share the strength you've given us in the present to bless and encourage others. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters and friends here who are in blessed seasons right now, who are in the green valleys and uh, the sun's shining on them and things are well. God, I pray that you would protect us from forgetting. Protect us from forgetting. Help us to remember you. Help us to keep the gospel story in front of us. Help us, Lord, to be generous. Help us to, to, to open up our hearts to those who are in need around us, even in our own church, starting in our own families, Lord, and be generous with what you blessed us with. And God, I pray that those who are hurting would learn to rejoice with those who rejoice. And so, Lord, may we be a unified body and may it be Christ that is at the center of this church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.